Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, we're talking to Georgie, Tom and Will from Rolls Farm. Today, we're talking about farm diversification. What is the best approach to take when looking at new ventures? And what can it bring to the farm business? So welcome to you all. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank, thank you. you very much. Yes. Good. And, and just to say to, to the listeners uh, listening in today that uh, uh, Tom, Will and Georgia are all, you know, uh, surrounding the same microphone. So uh, they're looking very squashed up there. <laughs> and, uh, looks like a, in the kitchen, is it? Is it in the yeah, kitchen yeah. there? Yeah. We'll try not to all talk <laughs> at the same right. time, but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, no, very good. Well, look, it's going to be fun. And uh, we're really looking forward to learning about what you've been doing on your farm and particularly with diversification into growing this exciting vineyard. But can I start off? Maybe, Georgie, you could start us off um, by telling us a little bit about the history of your farm, your family farm. Yeah, exciting. So we, um, we're we third generation um, on our farm. So granddad, Norman Carlyle, he um, actually farmed in Wiltshire. Um, and the M4 motorway went straight through his farm. So he had a little nice payout and moved to near Newbury, to south of Oxford, where we are now in West Ilsley. And, um, and here he, he bought a bit of land and he also took on a farm um, off Lockinge Estate. Um, and that was a, a, a three generation tenancy. And my father took it on after that alongside my uncle. And then we're now third generation on that farm, but couple of years ago in 2015 we were very lucky they put the farm up for sale and um, Lloyd's Bank were on our side and um, yeah we managed to to buy the farm and here we are now. Fantastic and and I can tell from I, I can tell from the just the enthusiasm amongst all three of you that uh, you're, you're really passionate about what you're doing with that farm so uh, tell me a bit Will about you know what you're currently growing and producing on your farm. So we're, we're a mixed farm the crops so arable wise we grow winter wheat winter barley spring barley and attempt to do the dreaded winter oldsy rape as long as the flea beetle slugs you name it partridge uh, don't eat it all um and then sheep wise or livestock wise we have a breeding flock of ewes as well as some new lambs that come down from northumberland and then we have what i call basset all sorts cows so charolais Lim- limousin Aberdeen Angus, sort of a, a mixed, a mixed all sorts, really. It keeps us busy. But I'm going to challenge you there because you're forgetting a couple of uh, animals that you've also got on your farm. Is that right? You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Brian and Norman, the alpacas. There you are. Maybe the most, the most uh, important uh, livestock. The most useful animal we have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fantastic. So, so Tom, tell us a bit about what do you see as the challenges that your your, your farm faces growing those crops and, and having those livestock enterprises? Well, well, this year has been a critical one, really, because, well, our annual rainfall has been down significantly, really. So I'd say our main challenges would be, uh, yeah, the weather climate. Um, well, it's becoming hotter and drier. Um, so that's pretty a big challenge. Um, I guess volatile crops and the markets these days, who knows when to sell. Um, in hindsight, we should have sold back in May, but we missed that, so we can't go and live off hindsight now. But um, that's another big challenge of when to sell sort of thing. Um, and and the, the pricing, prices are rising. 
like obviously fertilizer costs are going through the roof as we speak chemical costs everything's fuel labor you name it everything's just increasing big time so so it's, it is really difficult times isn't it for the farm enterprise to be able to budget to know where it's going when you're investing in a crop that's going to be in the ground for for many months isn't it so so georgie you were as i understand it coming back to the farm business wanted to come back to the farm business did did that drive the interest in diversification as much as what you're talking about tom which is that 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 need for resilience and sustainable enterprises which, which was the bigger driver do you think I think so. I think we all knew we, you know, we all had conversations about if I was to come home, all three of us were going to be, you know, on the farm working, but we'd have to bring something else to the table. And dad's always been really open about us wanting to do you know, something else, whether that be diversifying down the glamping route, um, what we've really wanted to do, which was start the vineyard. Um, he, he's turned around to us and said, bring me a business plan, you know, start the process. Let's see what happens. And we were really lucky to find the right people um, to help us, like consultants and um, actually not too far away and, and you know, people to map soils and, and to basically get, get the ball rolling, which I think looking back now was a hell of a long time to, you know, get the ball rolling on the whole vineyard side. But we're so glad that it's all happened now and, and, um, and that we've gone about it properly, really. Well, I think... Dad's just thinking probably wine, wine and more wine. So that's what he's thinking. <laughs> Is that right? I, I understand actually from what we said earlier on, what you said earlier on was that actually someone else in the family uh, had more of an impact as to going for the wines. Who was that? Oh, grandma. Grandma, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, she is very happy. Very, very happy. So look, that's, that's fantastic. But how far back did you start the planning process? So our first vines went in la- or 2021. So we've, we planted now 6.5 hectares and before then, so before they got planted, we did five years worth of research. So there was a little bit of COVID and Brexit pushing us back, but also we, we thought it'd be a really easy process knowing dad knew the field so well, we knew the field so well that we could just pop them in and off we go. But the weather stations were saying something completely different and where we thought was it going to be a really good site ended up being complete, like full of frost pockets. And so just, now we don't really listen to dad on the farm when no, he makes decisions. We just know he's going to be wrong. So it's, um, he's out of the equation, really. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a big investment to, to just, you know, jump in the deep end, really. Sure. But what I'm hearing there is that, is that getting that detail, that detail, that data, and really looking into it and understanding were the vines likely to be a success? Those frost pockets that you mentioned, which again could bring real risk after investing in that crop, was a really important exercise to go through. Yeah, definitely. Well, we started. Yeah, we started off with weather stations facing the far end of the farm, and then we moved to where the vineyard is now. We also put weather stations there, and because the location of it now has a windbreak, which is just to on the wind prevailing side. Um, basically that makes the climate better for the vines so it's warmer less wind prone a south a south facing south facing uh on chalk as well so um an ideal location for a vineyard i guess well replicating the, the champagne region in france isn't it really yeah yeah and, and and tom you mentioned looking into some of the different varieties that you could grow um what influenced your choice there well out of a six and a half hectare block um it's in total, it'd probably be about 500 metres or 600 metres in total difference and about 100 150 feet in um, height-wise. But it's amazing how the, the temperature changes from the bottom of the vineyard to the top of it. 
So you obviously get more frost-prone um, varieties of vines and less uh, frost-prone. So we, we planted in the bottom three hectares, uh, Savard Blanc, which went in this May, because um, that's less frost-prone, um, it's a high yielder and can cope with colder weather a bit better than what Bacchus and Pinot Noir can do. Um, and Bacchus is slightly more um, hardier than what Pinot Noir is. So we basically put Pinot Noir on the top left side, close to the windbreak, to sort of give it the best protection of nice sunlight and less wind. Um, and yeah, and same with the, with the Bacchus, really. That's fascinating. So across six and a half hectares, you're understanding the microclimate and growing of varieties very specifically to that microclimate. Exactly. And we've, we've also had to put um, increased amounts of windbreaks in as well. So along the top of the vines now, uh, in case a northerly wind comes, we put a windbreak in the top. And on the top half where the Bacchus and Pinot Noir is, we split those two varieties with a windbreak going halfway down the vineyard just for that sort of the, the prevailing protection. winds and protection of the winds. Yeah. And what we haven't done is we the champagne varieties that are Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier and Pinot Noir, which is what you know everyone's wanting. We knew that we'd never be able to grow the Chardonnay on our plot. Um, and it was actually going to cost us more to protect it from the frost than it would actually to grow it and to you know, sell the grapes. So we, we have had to really look at the varieties that we're planting and just realising that actually, you know, we're going to have to go down different routes with what wine we're going to end up having. So, yeah, it's been a real experience. When do you hope to get your first grapes that are likely to lead to a marketable product? Well, we're hoping, touch wood, touch wood, yeah, touch wood. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're hoping by 2024, so next spring, uh, next autumn is our first one. That's the, that's the stuff planted, so the Bacchus and the Pinot Noir planted 2021. We're, yeah, that's the first batch, so three and a half hectares, we'll, fingers crossed. It won't be a top map harvest, but we're hoping to get some sort of grapes. But by 2024 autumn, hopefully all of the vines will give us something. Yeah, in production, yeah. Sure. Okay. And, and in terms of production, give, give us an idea. Uh, how much can six and a half hectares produce? Well, it depends on the different varieties. Uh, Save our Blanc, for instance, um, depending when it's in full production, could yield between 15 to 20 tonnes per hectare. Um, back, Bacchus could be more like, say, well, depending, well, on, depending on a year, between, say, 10 and 15 tonnes a hectare, and probably the same with the Pinot Noir. Um, and you measure that tonnage as in picked grape? Is it? Is that exactly, exactly. how you, you manage that, that's yield? The, um, yeah, that's the produce, basically. So we've spent some time thinking about why you've uh, diversified an element of your farm business and also how you've gone about that. But a big question I've got for you is, well, how are you going to find your end market for the produce when you get to harvest? I think, I think we all... We, we know that, I think the whole point of our Instagram actually, which we started a couple of years ago, was because I lived in London and I would never get out of the boys what they were doing on the farm on a daily basis. So the whole point of that was to put up videos of what we're doing every day. And the actual, the reason we started it was to have something, a basis to sell our wine on eventually, which was a real dream. Um, but we started that and, and we went down more of the sort of farming route on that. But actually, I think for me, we well for all of us we, the dream is to have our own winery our own processing plant and our own bottles eventually like foot labeled and <clears throat> selling to local farm shops and you know maybe even going down the supermarket route that would be our absolute dream but i think at the moment 
we're just looking at producing really good grapes and selling to local wineries and local estates that want our, our grapes. So at the moment, we're just sort of taking, taking, taking a bit at a time. But our yeah, end goal is to, is to properly... It's actually funny because a year ago, we had, we've obviously had people come out to see the vineyard and see what, the, what, what it looks like and aesthetically and stuff like that. Um, and I would say we only had sort of one winery interested Whereas all of a sudden this year, it's gone from having one winery interested to sort of there's two, three, or even not four wineries that are now interested in, in sort of taking our produce. The demand so, is massive yeah, now. It's, it's, um, um, which is better because obviously then we, we don't have to sell to just one person. We could do multiple. We could just do one or we could even not sign a contract. And when we get the harvest, it all depends on risk and how ri risky you want to leave it. But we could just sell on the spot at maybe a higher price but who knows very much the same as farming to be fair as it is now yeah same as the wheat and... but I think for us we just wanted to produce some really good some really good grapes to be able to sell on um and then end goal yeah is to, to be able to go and do our, our own wine and and um and have a really good product at the end of it sure so you're talking about that really good product that's going to be a good product because you've really thoroughly researched it what you're growing where you're growing it how you're growing it and you're clearly constantly starting to build your end market right now um, before the crop's actually ready so that sounds very very exciting but you, you've also we were talking earlier on about glamping and you mentioned that Georgie so there could have been other enterprise routes you could have gone down so why why vineyards and not glamping it's interesting I'd say well this is the bigger risk I guess because in theory if we're going to be a bit um, on the negative side of things uh, it would take roughly eight to nine years to get your money back in the vineyard. Yeah. Um, and then also with glamping, glamping wise, I'd say there's a lot of campsites, glamping, Airbnbs, that sort of tree huts, you name it, around around the area. So um, it, I guess in order to go into that, it's a big risk because you're having a lot of competition. Would a you lot agree? of competition, yeah. And, and I think it was something we knew we could go down that route at a later stage when we've got, you know, the vineyard up and running and, and things like that. We can sort of tap onto that later. But glamping, I, we love the idea, but like Tom said, the competition would be huge, especially around us. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, I think with COVID, that was such a big time for everyone to stay in the, in the country and to use. And I, I don't know whether that's going to be a long lasting venture for everybody. I mean, I'm sure it works on a lot of farms, but I think for us, we were really keen to get our teeth into something that was going to hopefully give us quite a lot back in the future and um, and support the three of us as well, because the yeah, three of us being really keen, it's not common for all of us to be back on the farm and wanting to farm together. So giving us another little extension to the farm was was what we wanted and something big enough to really get our teeth into. But never say never though. Never say never. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fantastic to see, you know, all three of you um, so passionate about, you know, bringing in this new venture onto your farm. I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrific. But the, the vineyard carries risks as well as other alternatives. I mean, the glamping, yes, as you said, carries risks, but the vineyard carries risks. What, what, what are they, do you think? What are the main risks? Them not growing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, well, not producing. Having, it, having the main plot in the wrong area where if you get a frost come May and it wipes out when you bud, the buds are just coming out, you could wipe out a lot of the bottom of the vineyard. So you obviously then that would produce no grapes. Yeah, all of our yield would be um, So that's the huge one. Maybe the other one is, say there's a massive surplus of grapes in the 
in the UK, people might say, oh, no, I don't want to take those grapes. And obviously, once you've harvested your grapes, you want them to go within two days or they've got to be pressed within two days. So you're you're up fighting against others, potentially. You could be putting all the effort in to harvest them and then no one ends up wanting the end produce. So that's a huge risk as well. And again, climate, like farming, climate is just yeah. huge. Yeah. Not having a sunny summer and then having a huge amount of rain in autumn before you harvest is, is nightmare. And likewise, very hot temperatures, I uh, understand, in, uh, in France. That's one of the issues is that it, it can damage the actual grape yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it, it, the juice yield, can't it? So, so it's not without risks, is it? Definitely not. Yeah. What, what's the next step? Um, you hope to be harvesting uh, next autumn, don't you? So what are you going to be doing in the meantime? What, what, what practically are you busy doing? Well, to be fair, on Monday, Monday or Tuesday next week, um, we're p- applying chick manure which is in a pelleted form. So that's going onto the vines. They, they, well, our consultants recommended if we put it on in the autumn, uh, by the time the chicken manure sort of works into the ground and goes to the roots, by the, by the time uh, spring comes next year, it's then there and it's ready for the um, roots to absorb the um, nutrition and then it helps them grow, grow out quite, quite fast in the spring. Um, so that's a big job. What else? Um, we're all, well, then off the vineyard, we're sort of getting the drill ready, putting new colder discs on ready for planting the winter wheat and winter barley yeah well, I mean, to be honest we're trying to trying to work the vineyard work around the farming works that all three of us can sort of you know chop and change but realistically i we do all like a little turn on the vineyard tractor yeah yeah, we, yeah exactly yeah. um a lot of mowing a lot of by next year we'll be doing a bit of leaf trimming spraying is happening on the older vines as we speak um always mowing because we've got cover crop um within the vines at the moment which is amazing it obviously gives back the nutrition that they need but also is amazing for the bees and the butterflies so we you know we're constantly mowing that because that's that grows amazingly well yeah but yeah the more the older they get the more established they get the more what the more the work ramps up yeah. ramps up but we do have a really really great um a couple of guys that come out and help with the more of the labor side so we're really lucky to be able to help um they, they're able to help us Thinking about all of the experience that you've gained over the last five years looking into this new enterprise, what, what top tips, what advice would you like to share with our listeners today? For me, it's the speaking to as many different people yeah. in that industry as you possibly can. And we're so lucky around here. We've had people like Patrick McGrath, who is really local to us, and he um, he's involved with Tat and Joe down in Kent. Like, you know, just amazing people who will just give their opinion, um, help us with research. So getting that great advice, um, good advice indeed, Georgie. Tom and Will, what would you add? What the pros and cons are to it. Yeah, I'd say rule number one, um, yeah, don't rush in, basically. I thought you were going to say don't panic. <laughs> no, hang on, that, or that as well. But um, yeah, research, you need to do research on it before you, because a lot of people just would like to diversify, because I guess it's a buzzword and it means it's a good thing. But also you could, set, you could argue, don't diversify. If your business is doing well as it is, then why make the change as it is? So it's, it's a happy medium of diversifying for the benefit rather than just diversifying and then you're going to lose money. Thank you, Georgie, Tom and Will from Rolls Farm for sharing your story about diversification and good luck with your vineyard. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.